Welcome to the second episode of VS World 2024 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always are the Canadian who I'm pretty sure has a video where someone gets sprayed with buckshot, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who always checks whether any man he's with is wearing clean underwear, David Bindley. Did you come up with that yourself? I did actually, yeah. You you should you should be quite proud of me. Mm. That was so passive aggressive. Even even at Rick, who probably deserves it, let's be honest. <laughs> I think Rick has it out for me. <laughs> Are we starting with your <laughs> historic failures? <laughs> yes. Five years in a row, right? Yeah, five seasons on the trot. I'll preface this by saying the bingo card was a huge success for Fuzzy last week. She absolutely smashed it. First five squares on the board. Bindles and I disagreed on whether she got them or not, but she did. Um, so for the second time since she's been trying, Fuzzy got bingo last week. So as a little fun game i thought i'm going to add in a potential handicap this week i'm going to say do you want to gamble one of your squares on something fun and i'd just been sorting the suspicions of releasing the pool and i thought well one way to do it would be logan has a terrible record on always having the first boot after we do the pool it's four years or four seasons on the trot at this point and logan's got a pretty good team this year michelle I mean, when we drew the teams, I believe Bindle's reaction was, lol, Michelle's going to be out first. I sort of agree with that sentiment. But you had a pretty good team coming into this. You had the, as we see on first suspicions, the second most likely person to be the mole. I thought it will be a fun little gamble for Fuzzy. So I said, Fuzzy, do you want to gamble a square on whether Logan loses the first team member or not? And she's like, yeah. Statistically, he'll be absolutely fine. I know... I know he's managed it four seasons on the trot. I know there's only a one in 243 chance that he's going to do it five seasons on the trot. (laughs) And then when the red screen came up, I was obviously in... uh, I was in two minds about it. I'm like, oh shit, we've lost a major suspect. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh my god, Logan's managed to do it five seasons on the trot. That is very impressively difficult to do. I thought I was bad at this show. What in 243? That would be when it's three or four times in a row, right? Uh, No, that's five. Five? Yeah. One in three for the first year, one in nine for the second year, 2781, 243. Oh, okay. I thought it'd be like factorial or something. Uh, Well, it's it's three to the power of five. So yeah, you actually, if we just run it randomly, you would have had a 0.46% chance of getting the first boot for five seasons on the charts. And in fact, we've done the pool six seasons at this point. Michelle lost the first team member in China, and you've lost the first person every single Venom season since. So that would be, what was that, Renaissance, Czechia, um, (laughs) Albania, and then, uh, where were they, Uh, South Africa, now Mexico? Yep. God, I wish I could forget where they were last year. And actually thinking about it, I don't think you've uh, managed to escape losing the first person after we've finalised the pool on uh, Belgia either. So actually, at this point, it probably is about 10 seasons in a row. Really? There's got to be one season of Belgia during the streak where it wasn't the first person. The only time that I've had the first person is when it was a double boot, and that was alongside someone from your team. That was the Germany one? Uh, Germany and Canary Islands. And then last year, I lost the first person, but because there was a bonus person, they got added to my team, and then you lost the next person. So after the teams have been finalized, you have lost the first person every single time. 
Oh, okay. So there's a couple of asterisks there with Bel- Belgia. Yeah, I mean, last year was the first time that I actually managed to do it after the pool had been drawn. But yeah, after the pool has been finalized, you have lost the first team member every single time. Man, what the odds Odds on that must be astronomical. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressively difficult to do. However, I will say you did really make me laugh with your reaction because it was the first thing I saw this morning when I woke up of you just posting that screenshot from Simple Plan. <laughs> How could this happen to me? <laughs> the Canadian references just keep coming from episode 500. It really tickled me. <laughs> and me being me, I obviously went down a Simple Plan rabbit hole earlier. Pierre, the lead singer of Simple Plan, actually um, was a talent show judge on a show called Canada Sings, which was part of the um, the Glee era. It was 2011, I believe. It was various I was going to say, that sounds like from a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, 2011. It was various companies putting together their own glee clubs, I suppose, and being judged by such luminaries as Pierre of Simple Plan and, of course, Vanilla Ice. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't matter what country it is. He's on every reality show. I swear to God, this is true. This really tickled me this, this afternoon when I, I looked it up. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like the guy from Headley because he originally won through uh, Canadian Idol. No, it was uh, Pierre Bouvier, I believe his name is. Uh, Vanilla Ice and a Canadian singer who I've never heard of. Uh, Jan Arden. Oh, I know her. And uh, what's even more impressive is that like, nobody thought my suspect was going to go home first. No. No, I mean, skipping to the end of this podcast. Yep was second on First Suspicions. Yeah, so I, I'm not feeling terrible about it. It's not like I said, oh, this person definitely is my number one suspect and is definitely the mole, and everyone says, okay, if you insist. But at least uh, I took I took some people down with me this time who are equally shocked as I am, because fast-forwarding to the execution, when they were all, or when they were all taking the quiz, I took note of who everyone was suspecting for the first time in quite a while. I haven't really done that since you always take notes on that, Michael, but... Uh, it didn't specify who Euroan suspected, and Tusk uh, Tusk didn't uh, her her uh, suspicions weren't specified either, and uh, that's the rest of my team, isn't it? Uh, no, I had I've got Tuska. You've got uh, Yip, Fons, and Euroan. Yeah, so I knew. Yeah, I knew I had one of the two. So I was thinking, oh, because my first thought was Euroan's going to be executed, isn't he? I'm going to lose my first. Per- I'm going to lose the first person five. Five years in a row. So the execution comes around, and then Tuska's typed in, she's safe. Anna, Rosario, and the fourth person was Euro, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to happen five years in a row. And then he's safe, and I'm thinking, oh, thank goodness. It's not going to happen five years in a row. Because I didn't even consider that Yip was going to go, and then her name gets typed in. I'm thinking, no, this, this, are, are they seriously trolling me this hard? And sure enough, red screen. She's out thinking, I thought I was in the clear as soon as Heroin's name was typed in. Because <laughs> I was certain he was being executed. I can't remember the last time I've been this stressed for an execution because I'm like, I've made such a big noise about someone who's potentially doing this five seasons on the track. I can't lose someone. And then Anna was typed in. I'm like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. And then Tuska was typed in. I'm like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. And then it was Heroin and I'm like, I'm pretty sure Heroin probably is going. He had no edit in this episode. And then he's safe. And I'm like, what? Seriously? And then it's Yip, and I'm looking at the runtime, and I'm going, oh my god, it's going to be Yip, isn't it? And then she gets the red screen, and I'm like, holy shit, I cannot believe this has happened again. 
Yeah, I think most people probably thought your own was going as, especially because his name was typed in fourth, and he had, yeah, he had the least amount of airtime by far this episode. On the subject of the bingo card as well, the correct squares that um, Fuzzy got in the line, at least, because I'm not, I'm not reading out all 15, she can start off with that, uh, were bingo board shout out, a little bit too meta, but whatever. The group divide themselves, someone makes a joke about the funds, hey. uh, someone's convinced of the mole's identity solely from analysing the crowd in the first challenge, I mean, that was a gimme, it's me, and are the tarot card images a hint, which was pretty much a direct quote to what I said. The bad news, of course, of Fuzzy is, she did take the, the wanker's gamble, as I've nicknamed it, and... Um, she did say that you wouldn't lose the first person, which means I've picked a square on the board that is getting blocked. Ooh, yeah. You have to have less faith than me, Fuzzy. <laughs> which is top left corner. I've already sold her. Are you giving her the same gamble that I'll lose the second person too? Uh, I've not decided how frequent the gambles are going to be. Um, I would quite like to do it every week if I can think of one, because it's quite fun. And, I mean, it was going to be a win-win situation, because either... It was hilarious that you didn't lose the first person and I get to talk about it. Or this happens and I get to just relentlessly mock you for the episode and also Fuzzy for having any faith in you. Because I'm pretty sure that your own's going to go next week. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're not... <laughs> Even though I had the funniest description for him out of everybody. But that'll be his legacy. There's one of the early video ones that I really wanted to bring to the podcast last week, but it's a bit offensive, so I won't... <laughs> <laughs> is is that the one that was like apparently a woman? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> oh, that was so embarrassing because I spent two episodes uh, thinking that uh, who was that? It was from one of the early seasons, and I and I, I didn't realize until episode three she was a woman, and I was thinking, oh, Logan, you, how did you not figure that out? Uh, yeah, so I was a bit I was a bit embarrassed about that one. I just love that you actually sent that to us. <laughs> like, you sent it to us not thinking that I'm going to take the piss out of it. That's the level of observation we're dealing with here, Fuzzy. Yeah. I mean, this is the level that has earned him five seasons on the draw as first person out. Yeah. You have also, I believe, caught up on uh, Traitors UK this week? Yes. Yes, I have. This is not a Traitors podcast, but... Traitors UK, I've finished episode six uh, a few hours ago, deliberately knowing that we're going to talk about it on this episode. Uh, the best description I've seen for Paul was on the Buzzerblog Discord, where I believe he was described as a Vincent van Gogh-looking fuck. <laughs> I cannot wait for his downfall. Hopefully it's this week. But yeah, I'm warming to it more. I still don't like the cast as much as I like Series 1, but I'm sort of biased with Series 1, given that Ivan's my friend. But I'm warming to it. I've not watched any of the US one yet. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't either, just because Twitter's freaking out too much about it, which is, I know, is going to take away my enjoyment of it. Yeah, I was spoiled on one of the twists on it ages ago anyway, in terms of someone getting added to the cast and things. So, And uh, yeah, what the what the hell was Paul thinking with putting himself in the dungeon? I know, that's going to be his downfall, and I'm sort of, I mean, this isn't a traitor's podcast, I'll say it again, but I'm very excited that Miles is finally accidentally... Um, being thrown in the spotlight i'm very happy that paul's kind of tanked harry as well so it's going to be more interesting when the traitors betray each other oh yeah that was really really dumb too right at the end i'm sure i think harry will get out of it because he's clever enough but what was paul thinking oh harry came to me why why specify that the other traitor ratted you ratted the faithful out what was the strategy behind that other than to say oh 
I'm so powerful and I have so many friends that don't you dare try and come at me at the round table and try and it was maybe an intimidation tactic. But otherwise, if Paul goes, if they're able to get the votes against him, then that conversation is going to be brought up and then Harry's going to have to try really hard to get out of it. And um, another show that I've caught up on, last thing before we actually have to get to this episode, because God, this is going to be a quick episode actually talking about it, is the fact that Jeopardy UK is still awesome and they've been stealing a lot of my clues. Because in Friday's episode... License to Krill? They didn't steal the the Dan Peake classic of License to Krill. Still one of my favourite moments of of Dan's quiz. It was so, so funny that round. Um, they, they didn't steal Flower La 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 Land, did they? <laughs> they didn't. I was catching up on Thursday and Friday's episodes because I was a bit busy Thursday Friday. And um, in the same episode on Friday, they had a clue where the answer was, what is meteorologist? Which was one that I jokingly uh, said I was going to make you guys spell in episode 500. And, and also one about Canada's first national park being Banff. Oh. That was in a category called Oh Canada. But the Daily Double was actually um, what Canada's first national park was. And I'm like, I know that one because I wrote that question. And then as um, as Bindles and I have been discussing, they've had a lot of clues about like Henry VIII and obscure Scottish things. They have waited until today's episode, which is halfway through the series, to have anyone from the actual north rather than, you know, Yorkshire. And um, yeah, I'm hoping it gets a second series. The ratings on Thursday were really good. The ratings on Friday, not so much. I mainly want them to have a second series because I either want to be on it or, you know, write for it because I'd have a blast. Can you imagine me doing the um, the expensive music videos round on actual <laughs> Jeopardy? Oh, all people would hate me. I'd get such hate tweets. It'd be delicious. <laughs> but yeah, they seem to have retrospectively been uh, looking at the episode 500 quiz bank because a lot of the topics that I came up with for episode 500 clues have appeared on Jeopardy UK in some form including, in the same episode, two of them. It's going to be awkward when they start asking about oubliettes. It certainly is. <laughs> I, I was telling my brother about the uh, words from French category just so I have the excuse to make an oubliette joke. And uh, also, the answer is in the question, and be coming up with heinous just so I can have a clue that is uh, a reprehensible act, like putting your children in an oubliette. <laughs> so, previously, everyone met the mole at the day of the mole. Six of them earned exemptions, but immediately lost them the next morning, while five of them recreated Frida Kahlo's paintings lying down. It was Babs who was forced to take her fate lying down as she was the first one sent home. However, the fortune teller returned to give her a tibito and warn her to guard it well. Rick says that the trip through Mexico was started off turbulent. Everyone had more questions than answers. Who hid in the day of the mole? What was the mole's tactic at the speed dating challenge? And what went wrong in the Frida assignment? Those will be revealed in eight weeks. But the answers to Babs' situation will be revealed much sooner. You know, I thought they were going to drag that out until the finale and just insert her as a fourth contestant, but no, apparently not. No, no, um, yeah, no ninety-year-old costumes, no malice. I'm not going to miss Rick's attempt at drama building because he can't do it. Also, there's a rumor that civilian mole's going to be coming back in Netherlands. In the Netherlands? Yes. They finally ran out of celebrities. Um. So there was a mysterious casting notice posted probably three, four months ago for something they called, and I'm, I apologize to anyone who's playing this, the game. Oh, I just lost. Yeah, that. sorry, guys. Son of, son of a bitch. Okay. The game is still on, I'm afraid. I'm not the Prime Minister. But yeah, there was a mysterious casting notice for the game about three or four months ago, and it sounded a lot like a mole knockoff, just like Netflix mole did. 
And it turns out that apparently it might be a one-off civilian season for the 25th anniversary next year, uh, hosted by Gila off of Albania. Really? Gila? Yes. Apparently the rumour is it's either her or Rick, and they were waiting to see whether uh, Rick was going to actually turn up at his day job today, because apparently it's starting filming about now. Huh. Gila. I would not have guessed that would not be... Just like um, Amazing Race winners that were potentially involved with uh, Medicare scams, uh, Gila was not at the top of my list for potential uh, civilian uh, Vidim reboots. No. Yeah, so there's a non-zero chance that next year we've already got a guaranteed two Vidim seasons happening. I don't know yet. I know literally nothing more about it than, than what I've just told you. Well, that was the plan, right? They talked about how every five years they wanted to do some sort of special one-off season. Because we all know how awesome uh, an all-star season was with Vidim. We know how, how awesome all-star seasons generally are. Yeah, actually with any reality show, that's a that's a good point. When was the last good all-star season? Original Amazing Race All-Stars? Yeah, Amazing Race 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I think from memory, people seemed to like the Top Chef all-star season. But also, it's Top Chef, so why would you care? I think people liked Hell's Kitchen's all-star season as well. So anything that involves food, you can bring people back. Yeah, Yeah, I think that pretty much played it straight in terms of being a normal Hell's Kitchen season. It's not like Australian Survivor that does it every single bloody year. Except this year. (laughs) Except this year, yeah. And they're doing the even more intelligent tactic, because normally they do the premiere against maths and get absolutely creamed as is traditional. But they're waiting a week into maths when most of the weddings are already done. And all the interesting stuff starts happening when people start meeting each other. And they're starting the premiere then. So they're going to get even more buried this year. It's going to be hilarious. And in the meantime, they're killing gladiators. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they brought back uh, gladiators. Um, with, <laughs> with Bo. With Bo. Yeah, with Bo and JLP, right? They're both no. hosting it? No. Oh, uh, that's Top Gear. So it's Bo and Liz Ellis, who was like a famous netball player. Who won I'm a Celebrity last year. Yeah, and it is so bad. And it's already been cancelled? Uh, it's supposed to be 12 episodes over four weeks. I don't think it will make it to week three. It's being burned off against the Australian Open. Oh, and bear in nice. mind, Nine's tactic, because they have the uh, the Australian Open, Nine's tactic is they air the Australian Open, which destroys everything in its path, and then immediately go into maths, which destroys everything in its path until, like, May. So, yeah, they're burning it off, or they're putting it up against that, thinking there's going to be less competition, not realising it's the tennis, the tennis will win, and then they're going to put it up against Maths, which is the biggest show in the entire country. I'm still blown away that uh, the current iteration of Amazing Race Australia is still a, is still a regularly occurring thing. I, I, think... I can't believe they made it all, what is it, the fifth, the fifth uh, Bo Ryan season? It's no longer a tetralogy, it's a syncology. It's the unfortunate Bo Ryan trilogy in five parts, to paraphrase Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I get the feeling this will be the last season, though. Because it's, it's celebrity, right? Because th- yeah. that's what that's always the sign, is if they switch from civilian to celebrity, and then they do a couple celebrity seasons of a reality show, and then that's it. Yeah, the, the exception to the rule is this show that we're meant to be talking about, which has gone on yeah, for, what, 20 years at this point with, with the celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they did a normal season that sort of got ratings, but nobody really liked. And then they had the COVID season, which sort of people hated, but uh, they sort of 
everything that went wrong was that they sort of blamed on the COVID stuff that they had to do, like uh, not going internationally and all that sort of stuff. Pleasant scapegoat. Yeah, and then they the season after that, they did all the international stuff and then they thought, well, we'll just double down on everything else that people said they hated, thinking, you know, because of COVID. So you still had 20-something episodes, you still had way too many teams and all of that sort of stuff. I wish there was so. I wish they went really absurd with the stowaway teams. Yeah, I remember. I remember doing the fake stowaway teams for season five. That was really fun. Hmm. I think I had uh, Sue and Teresa from season four, or not? Not Sue and Teresa. Um, the 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 nuns, Teresa and uh, God, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> Peggy and Claire, uh, Will and James. I think those were the stowaway teams I advertised on Twitter. Oh wow. The uh, revolutionary stowaway team of Emanuela from Vidum and Joyce from Tarnow. <laughs> Prison buddies. So that that season did terribly. Like, they burned an episode off against the Queen's funeral. It was that bad. And then they decided, well, sort of too high-profile a show for us to cancel straight away. We'll just do a quick celebrity season to fill time. The three-way tie. Yeah, and, and it, it's sort of... <laughs> Like, the ratings went up, but they didn't go up by enough, um, if that makes sense. So th- I think it yeah. sort of only just squeaked by to get another season this year. And pretty much that's only because nothing else on 10 has worked for about five years now. I'm surprised that there were positive reviews for The Last Amazing Race Australia season. And the only thing I can think of is that it would be Australian people, kind of like how Canadians say, oh yeah, Amazing Race Canada, it's great. You know, you see those, you see those people online. So I'm thinking it's got to be the same psychology as to why anybody said Amazing Race Australia was good the past season. I, I think you underestimate the appeal of killing Grand Denya. You know Amazing Race fans, they will watch any old shit because they have the attitude of, we have to watch it because otherwise it'll get cancelled. And that's the argument. If you don't watch it, it'll get cancelled and everyone will be happy again. Mm. I was just amazed how how blatantly obvious how low budget the last Amazing Race Australia season was because oh. they picked the absolute three most affordable countries to film that were all in close proximities to each other and they filmed it for the whole season. Yeah. At um, Gladiators last night. So the, the one we had in the 90s was basically a 13,000 seat stadium in brisbane that they completely filled up every episode and then in 2008 they revived it but they used like the olympic handball arena in sydney and that that still had about you know 2000 people in the crowd it was small but like you had the atmosphere and all that sort of stuff the one last night was basically it looked like an abandoned dancing with the stars studio with about 25 people just sort of standing around in the background of shots to make it look like it was it wasn't empty oh it could have been bo ryan's garage for all you know yeah. The irony here is, of course, that the Gladiators reboot in the UK started on Saturday and is an absolute juggernaut already. Mm. Is that one of the. Oh, do you mean like that's the name of one of the Gladiators juggernaut? Uh, surprisingly, not. It got like six million viewers, which is roughly two and a half times what uh, Survivor got in a better slot in, uh, in December on the same channel. <laughs> Maybe the reins for Gladiators Australia can be boosted if they have to fight over um, Luan Van Houten. Pyro, Gyro, Simpsons? No? Okay. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> it just wasn't that funny. <laughs> so the episode title is Last? Question mark. 
Case narrates, saying they drove a while to the Olympic Stadium, which some of them saw as a card at the day of the mole, and it is day three. And also one other thing I wanted to point out about the previously unsaved one is that I think the montage of the day of the mole is identical to the one in the titles. Ah. Rick then welcomes them to the Olympic Games. Each round that they run in a relay will reveal seats in which people can put signs to reveal a monetary amount. They must then decide when to collect the money within time so they can light the Olympic flame. And they must divide into six relay runners and three sign runners, and they have a total of 45 minutes. Now, if you cast your mind back to last week, we were quite high on last week's premiere being really good, really competent, obviously Belgian-influenced. This week, not Not so much. This was potentially the worst Vidim challenge we have ever had to cover on this podcast in 12 Vidim seasons. And like, I get the appeal of doing it. I don't know, you know, how they got the clearance to do it, considering what the IOC is like, because, you know, they say Olympics several times. They've got the Olympic rings on the vest with, you know, thumbprints instead of the rings. Also, I think there's some sort of rule about using the cauldron for things. So I don't know how they managed to get away with this. No, neither do I. Yeah. But, you know, only one more Olympic stadium and they've got an only connect sequence because they've done uh, the first season. They did a challenge in the Sydney Olympic stadium, which hadn't even finished being built yet. And then uh, season four in Canada, they used the Montreal Olympic stadium for the reveal. Um, So this is the third one. Now we just need them to, you know, go to Tokyo again or something. How many uh, Olympic Stadia have you been to out of interest, Saunders? Quite a few, because I tend to seek them out. So Yeah, I know you do. So do I. That's why I ask these things. <laughs> oh, recomparing numbers. Uh... This isn't going to be a dick measuring contest. I just know that you're like, <laughs> you're like I, I am in that you love seeking out Olympic Stadia. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to just go, well, I've been to this place and I've been to this place. Okay, so well, Montreal, uh, Barcelona... Let's see, well, Vancouver. I I didn't do the. They didn't really have like Olympic Stadium though, since it was Winter Olympics. Um, <laughs> yeah, Vancouver's weird in the fact that the rings were actually in Whistler. Yeah, I went to the. So I went to the one in Whistler. Whistler, does that count? I count it because I've been there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, Athens, of course, uh, but the old the old school one. Did you actually go into the old school one because they wanted to charge me money and I'm too cheap? Uh, yeah, 1890s, the 1896 one, yeah, because I went inside and stood on the podium. Uh, you just got to be like the Greek teenagers who just hang out in the bleachers all day, and then uh, right when it's closing, the security guard had to yell at the teenagers to uh, to, to get out. <laughs> it was the one place that wasn't included in my Athens tourist pass, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to pay money to go in there. It was like 15 quid. It's not that. <laughs> I didn't go to the one in Tokyo, uh, surprisingly, even though I just went there last year. Surprised I didn't think to do that. Went, of course, Seoul. I went to that one um, last year. Uh, Sydney, yeah. I definitely went to the one in Sydney. Um, Trying to look at the map right now to (laughs) ring any bells. Oh, I went to, not the stadium, but I went to like the bobsled track and stuff for the Sarajevo Olympics. Oh, wow. The abandoned bobsled track during a major downpour and we had to walk to walk down the bobsled track and it's completely abandoned and uh covered in in graffiti from start to finish mm. it's not a functional track no but it is a functional water slide when it's raining yeah that, that would have been an easier way to get down the track i should have just done that as you might have guessed this conversation is far more interesting than actually talking about this challenge which was awful yep 
It wasn't even fun awful. It was just boring. It was really confusing. Yeah. I think it would have been fine if they'd done a better job of explaining how the cards worked. I think they needed to do a better job of explaining the cards, but they also needed to have something a little bit more interesting than just running around laps of the track for the other two-thirds of the cast to be doing. Like, I know, you know, it's an athletics field, so there's not a lot you can really do that's Olympic-themed, but considering they were in Mexico City, what they could have done, and I was sort of thinking about this, they could have done a long jump instead because they had a record broken there that basically stood for 25 years or something until it got broken. And that would have probably tied it into uh, Mexico a little bit better than just, oh, just run around for a bit. I mean, if Belgia was doing it, they would have tied it into Mexico 1968 by simulating a riot, because that happened very soon before the Mexico Olympics. Yeah, there was a, yeah that student revolution there was very, very infamous. I took a Latin American studies course in university, and yeah, we studied that a lot. You know, the Mexico Olympics was where the first wave happened. That's why they uh, used to call it the Mexican wave. Ah, interesting. I didn't actually know that. Hmm. We've learned something. I guess another good idea would have been maybe to pick an event also that um, like there was an actual Mexican gold medalist or silver medalist or bronze medalist or whatever their best uh, Mexican Olympic athlete is and base an event around that too. Yeah. That might have been a better idea. Yeah, like I I don't think the signs were the weak part of this challenge. Like little bit confusing, probably needed a bit stronger explanation or a bit, they probably needed, you know, some sort of explanation where, you know, we didn't have to go back and rewatch about three or four times to work out what was going on. But that part of the challenge was fine. It's the getting to it that was the boring bit. Okay, we're going to have a little fun here. What do you think the event that Mexico has done best in, winning three gold medals at the Olympics? When did they most recently, and this is summer, summer Olympics? Yeah, this is just Summer Olympics, uh, 1976 and 1984. Oh, so those are the boycott years. Oh, this is going to be super random, isn't it? Boxing? Uh, no. I mean, they've done all right in boxing. They got two gold medals, actually, in Mexico City in uh, in boxing, in men's featherweight and men's flyweight. Diving? Uh, diving, no. They've only won one gold medal in uh, diving, which is 1956 in Melbourne. Equestrian? Taekwondo? Equestrian... Uh... Question, they've won two, which was 1948 in London, both times, jumping individual and jumping team. Uh, Taekwondo, 2008 in Beijing, they won the men's under 58 kilo, I'm presuming that is, and the women's over 67 kilo. But no, there's one better than that. Judo? Uh, Judo, I can't see on the gold list now. Triathlon? Like a, a proper game show. Uh, no, I'll put you out of your misery. It was, of course, the 20 and 50 kilometer walks. <laughs> 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 just imagine doing that awesome. in a relay so yes they could have done this as a uh, as a mole challenge but it probably would have been even more boring than this one was okay I retract my uh, suggestion <laughs> then <laughs> the missing ones were um, football in 2012 in the men's tournament actual proper football this is uh, weightlifting in Sydney women's 58 kilos swimming breaststroke in 1968 200 meters uh, and that is it, I think. Yeah, that's it. When uh, Yip gets executed, I believe she says her highlight was seeing uh, Keys run around with a sweatband. I guess that was the... I didn't know that was a big thing that people highly sought after in the, in the Netherlands. My two highlights of this challenge were obviously the passive aggression towards Rick going, oh, did you write that joke yourself? And more importantly... 
the subtle implication that Yip had the shits. <laughs> oh, with her, yeah, my the, her stomach problem that she was saying. Because Rianne apparently can't run, and she says that Yip is having stomach problems, which we all know means Yip's got the shits. Yep. And uh, I was I, this this uh, this episode really made it clear that this is an older cast overall, because yeah. by the time we even by the time we get to the next challenge, it feels like half the cast is injured or has some sort of ailment already. And I'm thinking this is only episode two, guys. This is this is why average age can't be over the af the af line. They have to come up with a challenge where four of them could sit down for an hour and a half <laughs> just to catch their breath. <laughs> On a more slightly negative note about this challenge, it does hit two of my absolute bugbears. Number one is the maximum being 1968. Obviously, I get why they've done it, but that's not possible with the notes. Stop being dickheads. Just make it a normal number, please, that you can actually fulfill. And number two is the fact that in the intro, they show them spelling out 2024, presumably just as a reference to this being an Olympic year. But more importantly, you know, that's not the correct answer. Why are you spelling it out on the screen, you dickheads? Do you think it might have been a clue? Because last Mexico season, there was like a recurring clue about the number eight, because firstly it was season eight, but also the eighth month of the Mayan calendar is mole. And... Two plus zero plus two plus four is eight, so it could have could have just been an in joke about that. It could, but if they wanted to do an eight clue, they should have just had the eight digit from nineteen sixty eight on there and just be done with it. The twenty twenty four was unnecessary unless it's a clue, and I'm going to come back to it in eight weeks' time. But that's still irritating. They shouldn't have shown a number on the screen that wasn't possible to actually do in the challenge. And I promised I wasn't going to do the money rant again, but here I am. That's right. Speaking of irritating things that shouldn't have been on screen, um, while we're at the Olympic Stadium, I when I was in Sydney, I sort of went to the Olympic Stadium and got you know, got all the photos of the cauldron and all that sort of stuff. And sort of a block away from the Olympic Stadium is the the uh, pavilion they were using as the Big Brother house. And happened because you know whatever reason they filmed it a year in advance. They, by the time I got there, they'd basically taken the house down and they'd filled that with some sort of like dinosaur exhibition or something. And just sort of all the way along the, the uh, side of the, the building, it just had like billboards being like, the closest you'll ever come to living dinosaurs. And I'm like, you want me to make jokes about the ratings, don't you? And also, more importantly, dinosaur exhibition is the subtitle of this season. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex. When I was at the Sydney Olympic Stadium, they were preparing uh, for an M&M concert. Oh, I don't feel so bad now. And so the obvious question is, if they got 1968, how much money would they have been given in notes? Presumably 1970, because that's the nearest that they can actually fulfill on this fucking show. Or just give them two two coins and then uh, uh, Justin uh, just takes those two euros and says, we're missing two euros, guys. I wonder, I guess the mole must have taken the two euros from the pot. What a sabotage. They've done one euro notes before. Yeah, but they they haven't done it in years. Yeah, that's the thing. The lowest denomination of a uh, of a mole money note now is what five? I think. I think so. Maybe even ten. Yeah, I think it's five, ten, twenty-five, fifty, a hundred, hmm. uh, and a thousand. I think. Yeah. 
well, they definitely haven't got lower than five anyway. Yeah. I'm sure someone will correct me on what the, the lowest denomination is, but I think it's eight notes as it happens. Mm. And I think the lowest denomination is five. So they should never have a challenge where you can't legitimately make it in their mole money. See also Renaissance's stupid €2,222.50 challenge, which was pointless and bullshit. Old man yells at pod gains. Yes. Old man yells at uh, mole money, this. <laughs> <laughs> Main thing for me is the the envelopes. Just the when the envelopes were all duplicate, and there wasn't really ex, any explanation as to why that was happening. If they were able to clear up that ambiguity or confusion, it would have been a little bit easier for us to to follow. I still think this was better than the freaking search the hay challenge from uh, Oregon, though. It's certainly up there. Look, the discussion that's happened on Brothers Bar today is fuzzy. Thankfully, has been rewatching this challenge to try and work it out for everyone. And basically each pair of envelopes spelt out a different number in increasing amounts. So they had to make the first ones, then decide whether they were going to keep going and gamble on not lighting the flame yet, and then make a second higher one and so on and so forth. However, all of the numbers could still not be fulfilled in the fucking mole money. There was not a single number that they put on this board that could actually be fulfilled in mole money, which is stupid. And then my assumption off the back of that is that some of the squares that they'd already allocated from previous amounts would then fill into 1968 to make the correct answer in the end. And uh, was it the other entertaining part of this challenge was Keys being the worst at uh, giving out instructions. <laughs> I mean, Anna didn't help herself by not turning the microphone on. Yeah, that was such a, I'm thinking, that's the moliest mole thing to do that early on, saying, oh, the microphone doesn't work and no one else has used it yet. Thinking, that's just a, that seems a bit too obvious. But then again, we had Yuri as the mole uh, last year, and that was, that, that was a super obvious uh, mole to the point that I said, no, it can't be that obvious that he's the mole. It has to be somebody else. But no, it actually did end up being him. So maybe we've got that with Anna this year. If it is Anna then I think one of her sabotages was stuffing the uh, envelopes into Kesey's pocket. Yeah, because she was very touchy-feely with him, this challenge. I even took note of that saying, she's she's, uh, almost violating him uh, during this. The easiest sabotage on that part of the challenge, I think, is probably mixing up the envelopes and making it much more difficult to sort out, which then obviously leads into Fonz's quote-unquote sabotage of um, putting them all out on the grass and not being able to work out what he's doing. So I think she probably just mixed them up and then shook, because we saw her shove them in Keith's pocket when uh, she did the changeover with him. Yeah, it doesn't help that it was pouring rain either, and then you have the Fonz eh, um, putting all of the envelopes on the ground as the rain is just pounding away at the, at the envelopes. So each runner's got to run 100 metres with the envelopes. Whoever's last in the relay must take it to the commentator who will read it out to the sign runners. Yoroan asks her task that is just him going from A to B being very stupid, and his run is also spectacular. It didn't make the banner because there's something funnier coming up in this episode, but um, he was a contender for the banner just for his stupid face when running. Case then insists Anna swaps with him. They all have custom t-shirts for the Olympic Games, which does feel like a clue. Yustin speaks English a lot in this challenge. Doesn't sound like he speaks Dutch too often. He does, and actually, as it happens, I saw a video of him um, in drag earlier. He was commentating on the fact that the Drag Race UK versus the World Season 2 cast has, uh, has just come out, which I believe he was on Season 1. Huh. 
And then sounds like he's on to Anna too by saying, I love you, Anna, but your ADD is too much. <laughs> yeah, that did make me laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Justin gets a really cool opportunity to go light the Olympic flame, which obviously only a handful of people still alive have actually done. However, was it worth it for the rest of the challenge? Probably not. No. It, cool drone shot. Yeah. It, it, that bit at the end kind of felt like production told them, okay, we've paid for someone to do this, and we know you're not going to win any money, but we need the visual. They had eight euros left at the end, and Rick had specifically said it has to be legible and correct. So they had eight left as Justin was running up, and he says, like, yeah, someone's got to run up anyway, so Justin, you just you just do it and have a cool experience, and we'll get the drone shot that we've paid for anyway. The drone shot alone, I think, helps it surpass the Search the Hay Challenge from Oregon. Oh, yeah. You can't have a drone shot with a pile of hay. <laughs> I mean, you could. It wouldn't be very interesting, but you could. <laughs> Coincidentally, both casts featuring a Euro and who isn't very useful. Or maybe if Justin uh, lit lit the hay on fire and then they do a drone shot, maybe that would make it equivalent. I will say, you know, as bad as this challenge was, at least things happened, like with the chaos. But honestly, the moment things started to go pear-shaped, this challenge was as good as, well, F-arced. I mean, I know I'm a grumpy bastard about this sort of a, a challenge anyway, but I really didn't enjoy this challenge. Especially after last week, I had two very good challenges. Two challenges I enjoyed, thematically. Mm. Uh, so they're taken to a fancy restaurant and expecting a night off, but unfortunately there's an envelope waiting. Shocker, because there's cameras there. In the morning, a bus will leave with five of them designated daredevils on it. The other four won't get a hint of what they're doing, but they will need to bring swimwear. And they decide to leave all the old people behind and send Anna, Fonz, Justin, <laughs> Rosario, and Yip as the daredevils. Genuinely, that team has an average age of about 30, leaving Rian, Euro, and Case, and Tuska, who have an average age of about 75, as the <laughs> team requiring swimwear. It's a, it's a real shame Fonz went up the cliff instead of being told to sit on it. <laughs> it is absolutely no understatement when I say the divide here is genuinely old versus young. It's quite impressive. Le Floor and the Spada. It really is. Le Floor. Le Floor. And they also have a production meeting in the restaurant as to how they won't mess up the next day. Spoilers, yes, they will. And I'm sure all the patrons around them really enjoyed Dutch people shouting at each other. Yeah, speaking of Le Fleur, we have a team that all they have to do is either sit on a chair or sit on the floor for two hours. <laughs> and it's even got a purple Euro on. <laughs> so the Daredevils are driven for two and a half hours outside the city into the mountains to Mineral del Chico. They all have climbing gear waiting and five different coloured helmets. One for history, nature and science, sports, arts and literature, and the infamous expert helmet. You've missed missed my two favourite things about this whole sequence. (laughs) Firstly, Justin expressing shock that things can be built on the side of a mountain. Also, the the whole argument (laughs) where him and Yip are like, I knew it, and then Yip's like, because you're the mole? And it's like, no, because I can think, Yip. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kind of like really enjoying Justin. Like I I know you love Fonz. And I like I like Fonz too, but I, I, I think Justin is probably the funniest person this season. Yeah, I think Justin is funnier. I think Fonz gives better reactions, although Fonz is not the banner this week either. The the banner comes later in this challenge. <laughs> At a moment that I'm hoping you guys can spot because it really, really, really made me laugh. 
so do you think that um the swimmers part of the challenge was filmed first during the drive to the mountain so that they could synchronize when the podcast would uh, switch on and off i mean it's got to have been hasn't it they yeah. specifically said it's two and a half hours yeah plus the setup time with all the gear and all the uh what maybe there'd be safety instructions and them yeah. figuring out how to use the equipment so that would easily be four or five hours i would assume yeah i, yeah. I do love that they spent two and a half hours on the bus two and a half hours back the entire time it took to climb up that mountain which wouldn't have been quick plus the safety brief and all that. So they were basically gone for nine, ten hours probably. And these four idiots just all day have no idea what the challenge was. Oh, and then Rick doesn't even interact with them at all. He just gives them the next initial lecture, comes by two hours later and says challenge over. And then he doesn't, and then he just sneaks up and spooks them, yeah. channeling his inner Peter Yan uh, at the, uh, well after the other team gets back. So everyone who is climbing gets four questions on their topics. If they don't know the answer, they can ask the White Helmet. And if they don't know the answer, it will cost the group money. Yep takes the White Helmet. Fonz takes Blue, which is sports. Rosario takes Black, which is art and literature. Justin has Red, which is science. And Anna has Yellow, which is history. And then Rick meets the other four on a rooftop and just walks away. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it for that one. <laughs> Something I did want to bring up, which actually goes back to the first challenge, but also something I noticed last week that I forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. They seem to have a real thing for a neon colour scheme in this yeah. season already. Because all of the tables in um, with the envelopes on in the stadium were various bright shades. The execution chairs are various bright shades. Mm-hmm. The um, table that Rick uses is a neon colour as well. Yeah. So I'm wondering whether that's going to end up being a clue of some description. Because Anna's um, helmet was very, very yellow in this challenge as well. Yeah. And I think I think her trainers are neon yellow as well. Mm-hmm. Just something I wanted to mention whilst, uh, whilst I'm proven right in eight weeks' time, hopefully. So all the information they require is on a podcast. And of course, as we well know, people who listen to podcasts while doing things are always more intelligent. And it stars Thomas from Albania... Panic, panic, Daniel and Ellie. I had completely forgotten I mean, Thomas had ever done this show. Well, when he when he said his full name, I'm like, yeah, I don't remember you, Thomas. And then no, looks I'm like, oh yeah, was he Albania? Yeah, like I had to Google him to work out who he was. Because the only reason I remembered who he was is because he was the one left over in Albania when Logan lost the first team member. When the names read out, I was thinking. That's not the last name of the guy from the Oregon season. I was thinking that. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's a different last name. Also, if you're trying to stay calm while climbing a mountain, two people you really want to have in your ears are Anik Panik and Ellie Loost. Two of the (laughs) calmest individuals ever to be on Vidim. Love them both, but also they would stress me out if they were just my only guide through a hellish landscape trying to climb a mountain. So the rooftop team are told that patience is a virtue, so they just sit down and do nothing. They don't realise that as they sit down, the podcast will play for everyone else, and it will stop the warbling about Mexico that is currently happening. And for the second time in two episodes, it is a note diabolic challenge. I, I have a question. Yes? If we were all to stand up, would that Mexican song start playing? Only one way to find out, Saunders. Yeah, okay, alright. Alright, I'm standing up. I'm standing up. 
Okay, I'm seated. All right, the podcast has resumed. <laughs> Such dickheads. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to splice it in there. I know. Yeah, so apparently, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, if everyone stands up during a podcast, yeah, you, mm-hmm. everyone has to listen to the, the Mexico song. So we, we apologize to the listeners for, for that. Hopefully, uh, I'll remember not to stand up for the rest of this podcast. Yeah, yeah please do. I don't apologize. Uh, it's only Logan. Yeah, you know, he's, he's Canadian. He gets to say sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. 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 <laughs> and one thing I do have to point out is that people will never complain about our podcast again after listening to this. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially if we all stand up for like 20 minutes and it's just 20 minutes of the Mexico song playing. <laughs> Not just 20 minutes of the Mexico song playing. Probably 20 minutes of me repeating the same 10 second bit because that's all I'm ever going to track down. Just over and over and over again. <laughs> so the Daredevils take a break and then they realise they're doing a Tarzan swing to the net on the other side. And from personal experience, Tarzan swings, not the most pleasant thing to do. And from personal experience, swinging face forward into a cliff, not exactly fun. No, I believe we discussed this last year at quite great yeah. length bindles, but when I did go ape, I did do a Tarzan swing, and I mean, I deliberately made sure that, because I was on my own anyway, I was right at the front of the group so I could just rush ahead and spend five minutes panicking on the platform of the Tarzan swing, because I didn't really want to do it, but I kind of had to force myself to do it, because I was mm. I was there anyway. So I, I perched on the edge of the platform for a good, like, three or four minutes before just kind of saying, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, I got dizzy just seeing them do the Tarzan swing. Yeah, yeah, you've done high wire courses, haven't you, Saunders? Yeah, but I but the um, it's the when they do some sort of like Tarzan swing or really a, a a really fast motion through the air. Uh, yeah, I always get dizzy even seeing that on TV or in or in movies. I, I would still do it because of you know I still do roller coasters, but I I just end up screaming uh, the whole time when that happens. I know I've said this to you before, but it is one of my life missions to go to a theme park with you just to amuse myself for the day. Yeah, all you'd have to do, you would just hear me scream out, ah, ah. I mean, given your comments last week, I sort of want us to go to a Disney park together just because it would be doubly hilarious, because you'd hate every second. <laughs> and, and we both know the reason he's taking you is because I can't go on any of the rides. <laughs> Very true. Because you're not legally allowed to. No. Because of the uh, the restraining orders. What? <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something here. <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. Uh, so Rosario reaches the top and says he could have kissed the ground, and he's quite hygienic, so that's saying something. Why? Each this is two episodes in a row where Rosario is fairly low key, and then there's just a sentence that comes out of his mouth that is the funniest quote of the whole episode. Two episodes in a row now. Yeah, let's just say this straight up: Rosario is weird. Yeah. He loves bread, and he'll kiss the ground in extreme situations. Despite the fact he's very hygienic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, maybe Rosario should have been at the hotel with the Wilson volleyball. Yeah, maybe. Wilson! <laughs> Who was screaming? Who? Was it Keith that was screaming at Wilson? It was your own, of course. Oh, yeah. So each of them is then asked four questions about their topic, and I do have to say, in the category allocation it's very interesting to not give the science journalist science who is the science journalist anna anna is a uh, a, a wetenschap journalist which is from my german uh, knowledge the uh, the dutch word for science 
So Rosario struggles and Justin skips one, sending three to Yip. Rick then returns to the old farts group and sends them back from daycare to reunite with the other group. He then, in my favourite moment of the entire episode, materialises in front of the group when they reunite and scares the living bejesus out of Tuska. (laughs) It is so funny because she is the one person who is not expecting him to appear and she shits herself. Yeah, now she has the same stomach problems that uh, Yip does. Yeah, the Yips are getting bigger. I have obviously screenshotted this. This is our banner this week and Fuzzy's just actually sent a message saying she's still not decided what she thinks the banner's going to be. It's going to be Tuska getting the shit scared out of her by Rick because it has made me laugh every single time I've watched this moment. I've watched it about three or four times because I knew it was going to be the banner. And it it just really tickles me. I really wish he, uh, Rick would have done that if uh, Tuska had been in the Daredevil group and she's about to do the Tarzan swing and he just appears behind her like, good luck! Travel safe! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She'd be more scared of that than the Tarzan swing itself. So the Daredevils ended up earning 1,250 euros of 4,000 for the pot, which means 1,250 of 59.68 for the episode, and 77.50 of 14,468 for the season so far. I've decided not to add the missing 4,000 euros in. I totally forgot the note I wrote just below below the pot. The number, the 7,750 out of 18,468 or 14,468. My next line after that is, Michael is going to love that number. Yeah, you are 100% correct. I hate everything about that. Everything. (laughs) It boils my piss. Now, where do you think the mole was in this challenge? Because this is the suspect list question this week. I was about to ask, that was the very next thing I was going to say, is where would you have been as the mole in both challenges? Because there is an argument to be made for the non-Daredevil group, the old fart group as I called them. The physical rehab group? The Chair Devils. <laughs> yeah, the Chair Devils. That's a, good, that's a better name. I wish you'd said that before I ever wrote the suspect list question. Because that probably would have made people laugh. But, yeah. <laughs> Lost my train of thought now. <laughs> yeah. There's an argument to be made for the Chair Devil group being where the mole was because you obviously get to control the flow of information. There's an argument in the end to be made for Yip being the mole because she's got the white helmet, everything goes through her. But... I think the mole was in the Daredevils group. I'm still obviously on Anna. Spoilers for suspicions. Oh, well, because Anna was in the Daredevil group. That's So that's where you think the mole was. Well, no, it's not confirmation bias in that way. Because I was trying to go into this episode with an open mind. I suspect her less than I suspected her last week. But that's also not saying much. Because there's still a big gap between her and Sek. But I think it is most likely that the mole was in that group. And that the answers that we saw the mole type in were not necessarily the correct answers. because. The control of the money here sits with the Daredevil group, and specifically it sits with the people answering the questions, because yet, really in that white helmet position, even if she hadn't gone home, she doesn't really have control over the flow of money there, because she's reliant on everyone else not knowing their stuff. The mold mm. themselves can control a thousand euros just by pretending to get their questions right to us, and then not getting them right in the end. Yeah, that thought went through my head too, that you could just, yeah, just type, because you have to say pass right to get to yip like it's not like you type a wrong guess and if it's wrong then yip gets it you have to you have to know that you don't know it yeah if if it's wrong you get nothing i think regardless the mole couldn't actually control that much money in this challenge which skews the the question of where the mole was a little bit because if the if it was all or nothing where the mole could control it all 
then yes, there's an essential position where the mole needs to be. But because the mole at most could control a thousand euros unless they were yip, which they weren't, obviously, I don't think there's really an essential position the mole could have been in here. No. And being, uh, it just seems so lazy for the mole to be in the chair devil group. Like, what was your big sabotage for episode two? Oh, I didn't sit in a chair. <laughs> I got a massage <laughs> and a, a manicure. <laughs> I, I went to the bar and got a drink. That really threw the group off my scent. I got my nips out and played badminton in a swimming pool. I, I, I stood up and screamed at a at a soccer ball that or a volleyball that had uh, a, pick, a Wilson from Castaway drawn on it. That was my big sabotage for the week. I do wonder what the original plan for the other side of the challenge was because there is no way if it wasn't the four old farts in that group that they wouldn't have had something to do. <laughs> And they said wear your swimwear, but they they were barely in the pool. This is what I mean. Like They must have changed the plan at the last second when they thought, shit, all four of these people are really old. Um, let's just make them sit on something. Sit on a chair. Yeah. Maybe they had to be, like move, move in the swimming pool the whole time. Because we know that Rianne had an ankle. Like It sounds like she has a pretty bad uh, ankle or foot injury. Cause she's complained about it all episode. So it sounds like she's having a tough time with moving, and then uh, I, I would, and then um, who is it? Keys Keys was was doing the whole run around Olympic Stadium, so maybe he was really sore from from all that running because he wasn't really on the microphone that much during the previous challenge. So I don't know that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did say, "Hmm, this group may not be able to be the Daredevil group. Will have no chance of earning money if the challenges that they have to keep." moving in the swimming pool for two hours or, or something like that. Instead, it's, oh, let's just just have patience as a virtue as a clue, and they have to somehow interpret that it means sit on these chairs for two hours without without moving. I, I just love the idea that they came up with a challenge expecting Rian to go, you know, climb up the side of a cliff and then had to change it when they realized, strangely, she didn't want to do that. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. So Anna says that she got all four, Fonz said three, and Justin said two and passed two, and Rosario says three, which, of course, doesn't add up. Someone's lying. Mm. On this show? Yeah, which is what makes me think <laughs> more that the mole was on that side. But we saw six questions answered correctly, which was one from Fonz, one from Justin, one from Rosario, one from Yip, and two from Anna. But Fonz apparently knew another, and I'm not sure whether Anna's answer of chocolate is the currency from the Mayans, would have been accepted when the currency was actually cocoa beans. Now we're doing it like the Mayans. Yeah, we are doing it like the Mayans, but actually, yeah, the currency was cocoa beans, and I'm not sure whether it was... I'm not sure whether chocolate would have been an acceptable answer for that. They'd have to go to the Jeopardy judges on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It only counts if it's a chocolate mint. I looked it up earlier just out of interest because I thought that sort of thing might have been a sabotage. We know for a fact that Fonz's answers about the... Mexico Olympics and presumably the height of the stadium were correct. I'm not sure about Anna's population answer either, because that one apparently varies between 200,000 and 400,000. She said 200,000. So obviously it depends on what was actually on the podcast, but there's some potentially suspicious answers in there. And the reason why I think the mole was in the Daredevil group too is because, yeah, we don't really get any um, clear cut who earned what. Uh, for that side of the challenge. And furthermore, with the Olympic challenge, uh, we get a lot of um, 
it's not very detailed as to what was happening with the runners and the microphone and the envelopes too, but it was much clearer as to what was happening with the people running around in the stands. And then the same thing with this challenge where it was much clearer with what the people were doing that were sitting in chairs and getting massages for two hours. There wasn't really any mysterious element of, hmm, why didn't they explain what happened in this scene or that scene during the challenge? All the mysteries were around the runners and the daredevils. They lose about 20 minutes immediately from the running around the stadium challenge. And after the challenge is over, my favorite thing when they're showing everybody prior to the prior to Yustin's scene of, of the 250 missing euros is Rianne uh, blinding herself in her eyes with the hairspray. I'm partial to uh, the <laughs> random scene of Yeroen and Case doing yoga on the bed as well. Yeah, they went. Those those were shown back to back. Yeah, first was the meditation, and then Rianne like getting <laughs> looking like she was in pain from the hairspray. <laughs> I'm thinking she has an ankle injury and now an eye injury. This is going to be a long season for her. I I think the hotel thing is probably the funniest Vidim has been in years. Yeah, the other thing of note actually on the everything felt a bit rushed um, point is this is the shortest episode Vidim has had for ages. It was 58 minutes. Mm. Usually it's an hour two, hour three, right? Or no, hour six. Yeah, it's usually somewhere between about 65 minutes and 70 minutes, unless it's a uh, a reunion. Reunion's usually 90. But yeah, this was 58 minutes. Mm. So they obviously lost a few minutes for, for whatever reason, and presumably it all came from the actual context of that first challenge that anyone will be able to understand it off the back of. Yeah. So yeah, the pot drama, what the fuck is happening? Justin just decided to lie for funsies, I think. He just pocketed 250 euros for himself. He does realise it's not real money, yeah? Yeah, the standing thing on the pot is that I will not take the money out unless it actually does go walkies, so we will still be saying like 77.50 until we see otherwise, basically. Uh, so it's now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and accents of the mole. Whoever knows these goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Wait, 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 wait. There's one weird thing that happens. Why is Anna sitting on the Fonz's lap? Yeah, I thought that. That was odd. <laughs> I didn't register at first when they're all gathered in a circle, and then it's like, wait, 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 wait. But Anna was sitting on Fonz's lap. That's, uh, you don't really see that on Vidim, where people are just sitting on, e- on each other's laps, especially when there wasn't a shortage of chairs or anything, so. I mean, I would. <laughs> And they decide to keep Yustin as a treasurer, even even though he, he was he money is missing. They say no, no, we're, he lost two hundred fifty euros, but yeah, we'll keep him. We'll keep him on as treasurer. Yeah, like I know Vidim loves a treasurer, but what is the fucking point at this at this point in time? Nothing good can ever come of having a treasurer. At least we know there's not going to be like a suitcase challenge this season. Yeah, when was the last time that? a treasurer actually added fun to the season. I can't think of one. Did something happen in Japan? It's a while anyway. Yeah, it's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah, that's 14 years. I guess guess that's not exactly recent. (laughs) Yeah, Logan, get over it. Yeah, bear in mind when we did um, Japan Historians, I mentioned that they took a four-week break because of the Winter Olympics in Vancouver. It was 14 years ago. (laughs) So the test takes place at the post office because Rick obviously needs to send some parcels. Souvenirs back home? Yeah, exactly. He's just getting his souvenirs in now. Justin spreads because the group's large, but he still suspects Anna, Yip, Tuska, and definitely Fonz. 
fun, says the women are much smarter than the men. Tuska, Yip, and Anna are all suspicious. Not you, Rianne. <laughs> Anna learned in the last test that even the most fanatical person can go. It just really made me laugh that Fonz listed all of the really smart women, apart from Rianne. I know, it made me laugh. It's like, oh, the men, the men are nice, but the women aren't total dumbasses, so it's obviously one of them. Name three of them. Three of the four <laughs> remaining ones. Rianne is suspicious of Case because he takes control. Case suspects Rianne. She's an actress and plays a role with Verve. Euron has three main suspects and one outsider. It could be that he's completely wrong already. Rosario thinks Yep is a behind-the-scenes mole and he's also betting on Tuska. He's doing his best to spread on the rest. Just in time on Yip's list. It's funny how everyone trusts him, but she notices strange things happening. And Tuska's list is long, but she fools herself that that may be wise because making a very specific choice can lead to tunnel vision. Interesting also to note that Tuska has been the last suspicion in both weeks. And Anna doesn't really say anything. She just says, oh, I thought Babs would win this season. Yeah. That's not a that's not a suspicion. She's gone. She's gone. <laughs> I don't know why that made you guys laugh so much last week. I just had to keep hearing it because it made you laugh. <laughs> I think because it's just no one in the Netherlands would ever talk like that. <laughs> Can you imagine? I think it also is because you would never expect me to talk like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe a mixture of that. Just imagine, like, right after the execution, after Rick sets her away, he comes back and's like, oh, she gone! Right, I'm saying this mainly for Bindles, um, for Bindles' pleasure here. But if they ever revived Australian Mole, please can we get Tom Gleason doing it? Just so when he dismisses people, he just goes, out! <laughs> Thanks for sabotaging. Hard. <laughs> Logan, you need to watch Hard Quiz. It's amazing. It's basically Mastermind, but with a host who is a complete and utter arsehole. He is also the Australian Taskmaster. Um, he just roasts the contestants. It's delightful. So Rick says, during the search for the mole, the first test is exciting, the first execution is more than people expect, and the first test shows you what you know and don't know about the others, and what you need to know to survive in the game. Tuska, Anna, Rosario, and Euro, and all get green screens before... For the fifth season in a row, Logan loses the first person as Yip goes home. Rip Yip. And she was wearing a I don't work here hat. So, yep, she does not work here anymore. Did you notice what was on the back of her hat as well? No, I did not. It just says, in a tribute to her leader on the pool, sorry. (laughs) It's all in lowercase. It just, in small white letters, it just says, yeah, sorry, Saunders. I let you down again. Yeah. I've joined the rogues gallery. <laughs> and then it sounds like she spread on the quiz because uh, Rick asks her, oh, what went wrong? And she said, oh, I wanted I would have, I, I wanted to stay longer, but it's kind of spraying with the buckshot. And she also enjoyed the mountain in the stadium just to talk entirely about this episode. And she again is given a torpedo and is very excited about it. It's definitely the next third of Babsy's one. Next time, a mariachi band plays at a quiz, Tuska tells Euro to shut up, which I'm already looking forward to, and Rianne has no idea what a selfie is at a Lucha Libra event. Oh, they're hitting up, like, two of the major... If you ever film a uh, season of The Mole in Mexico, they've hit up... Mar- Next week, it's mariachi band and uh, Lucha Lucha Libre. It is indeed. How original. Well, we knew the luchadors were coming since last week. Sadly, they're not making the old people um, do luchador uh, routines like Belkia did. Yeah, that's a shame. I think they learned from when uh, was it 
Bill or no Mark off of Mark and Bill from Amazing Race 13 when they made him do a wrestling challenge and nearly died. They thought, okay, if anyone if it's anyone that's older, that's it's too much. It's too much of a risk. I mean, you could get away with it with um, Baja and Lloyd since they were you know young and fit, but it was Baja and Peter. Oh, Baja and Peter, they did the routine. Not Lloyd. Yeah. Okay. No, Lloyd didn't do it. Yeah. So th- three three younger fellows. But uh, you can't really do that with this uh, Venom cast that's on the verge of all being in a retirement home. Yeah, counterpoint to that, imagine if it was Case and Rianne having to do it. Just for the entertainment. Well, for somebody, only two people enter and only one person will move on the rest of the season. Only one person will leave the ring with their spine intact. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Put them in a body bag. So, as you may have picked up on picked up from the subtle hint we did draw the pool on friday i drafted anna tusco and justin logan got yip fonts and your and michelle got rosario case and rianne and yes kind of points out rosario was indeed michelle's number one suspect really yeah rosario yeah i think i listed michelle's uh, suspicions on the discord actually because it really made me laugh that she actually suspected rosario in any way shape or form yeah watch her win the pool so her her order was rosario then anna then case yip Rowan, Tuska, Justin, Fonz, and Rianne, in that order. But obviously she had last draft, so she was going to get Rianne regardless, because none of us wanted her. Yeah. Even if she is the mole, I don't think she's going to make it to the end of the season. <laughs> but with Yip going home, Logan is now down to just two, and forgive me if this is something I've said on the last five Vidim seasons now, with Fonz and Rowan. You haven't mentioned it yet. Now I know it's it's subtle. That's why Saunders tried to get in there first so that I wouldn't have to mention it as much. Spoilers, I did anyway. On first suspicions, thank you to everyone who submitted the first suspicion. I'm sure it will cause much amusement over the next few weeks. Anna was the top suspect with 3 out of 10 as her average, 2.78 if you include the four of us, followed by Yip on 3.95, Fans on 4.79, Justin on a dead 5, Tuska on 5.05, Euron on 5.42, Case on 5.53, Rihanna on 5.58, and Rosario on 6.84. I'll also say... Tuska was rock bottom for a lot of last week. She had a very last minute resurgence and moved up to like fifth. She was dead last out of the final nine, at least, for a long time last week. Uh, Yip going home means it's now Anna on 2.63 out of eight. Fonz on 4.26. That is a big old gap, 1.6 between them. Justin on 4.32. Tuska on 4.37. Rihanna on 4.74. Yaron on 4.79. Case on 4.89. And Rosario on a dead six. Sandra takes an early lead on first suspicions as the only person to put Yip ninth and the only one to put her below seventh. On the other end of the scale, mm. oh, yeah, you know what's coming, Saunders, because you put her number one. On the other end of the scale, our Fly 101, James Turner, and our very own Logan Saunders, who puts her in first. Mm. Two remaining questions, as you well know what they're going to be. Who do you suspect? Uh, so I have Anna... Bonds and Case in my top three suspects. Rounded out by Justin, Rianne, Euroan, Tuska, and Rosario at the very bottom. What about you, Bindles? Okay, so almost exactly the same, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> my chances of winning, gone. Stay gone. <laughs> We're just going to make this a thing now, aren't we? You're going to need a second. Anna, because it was really, you know, 
her fault that the Olympics thing went pear-shaped and she was in a good position to lose money in the cliff. Fonz, Tuska, and then the rest. Yuroan, um, Justin, Rian, Keese, Rosario. Yeah, one thing I did want to say, trying not to be in a tunnel on Anna too much, but if the rules are as we interpreted them, in that they have to do each number before they can move on to the next one, having her as the caller on the first one basically fucks the challenge straight away. Yeah. So that is a big old suspicion straight away from me. <laughs> My order is Anna, and then Tuska, and then Justin. I think that's the first time ever I've actually suspected my entire team in uh, in a week. Oh. Then Rosario, Fons, Yeroen, Case, and Rianne in last for fairly obvious reasons. Anna, yeah, I mean, I'm still very much in the Anna Tunnel, unsurprisingly. Sounds like everyone's in the Anna Tunnel. Come on in, there's plenty of room. Not the first time you've invited people into your tunnel? No. Yeah, Anna, I mean, we've discussed it the entire episode. She was in a position to sabotage in both of the challenges. I think she probably did. If it's not her, I'll be surprised at this point. Tuska, if it is any of the old people, I think she's probably best positioned so far in two episodes to have been the one to sabotage. Justin, I mean, he got a lot of attention this week, mainly because of his stupid €250 steal or whatever it was. But there's just something inherently suspicious about a lot of the things that he's doing. Thons, yeah, I mean, I still don't think he's... The mole, I think he's probably comic relief. Got to put him somewhere. Well, actually, I put Rosario above him. So Rosario, I mean, I completely forgot about him, but Rosario was in a position to sabotage in both of them. He wasn't really the focus of much of the episode, so if they're hiding the mole, it could be him. Fonz, I mean, he's the comic relief, presumably, but I have to put him somewhere. Then it's the three remaining old people. Yeroen, I can't see it being him. Case, I can't see it being him. And Rianne, if it's her, oh boy, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this season if it's Rianne being here till the end. I really want somebody like Rianne to be the mole one here. The problem is the last non-young person mole we had was an old woman. Check yeah. Yeah, it was Renee. So I'd sort of like them to get away from both of those archetypes if possible. Yeah. It would be nice to have a fresh... Um, Fresh archetype for the mole after like six years since we've had one. Honestly, I'm, I'll, just, I'll just be satisfied if it's not the gay guy this season because it's been a while. That's what I mean. It's what three seasons on the track where it's been the gay guy. And final question Who do you think's going home next week? Rosario? No, you're Owen. You're Owen. Your own will go. Yeah, I think it's one of those two. Although, you know, I thought it was going to be uh, Rosario or Case last week i think so and then it ended up being, yep so you know goodbye anna no not goodbye anna we want anna to stay in because we like anna anna is my number one suspect has been both weeks and i'm gonna win the suspect list if it's her well i have her as my number one suspect michael so yeah i know you do but you can't get a clean sweep on the suspect list which is all that matters at this point the netherlands suspicions by the way are anna with 24 percent case with 18 rianne with 14 fonds with 13 your with 11 tuska with nine justin with seven and rosario with four Four percent of people think it's Rosario. Apparently so. Michelle's probably one of them. Let's be honest. Yeah. How many times is she voting? Too many. <laughs> She's using a VPN. The number of Michelle votes is too damn high. Uh, have you guys got anything else you want to say about this episode? <laughs> no, I'm good. Eh? Nah. No, it's not really an episode with a lot to discuss. So 
Thank you for listening to our VS World 2024 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another new mold in Mexico. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RCV Warriors. I can email and contact at rcvwarriors.com. Logan's on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Lux Pukwaki. Binners is a grim recapper and I'm in with Jay Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Warriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Or rise for the National Anthem of Mexico. Trust. Mexico. Mexico.